Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex podcast. It's Juad here as always, and thank you for tuning in this week. Coming to you a little later than normal, um, decided to actually take a proper day off on Thursday. <laughs> um, was a little bit under the weather, but also um, was nice to just spend the day relaxing with my partner, headed to the markets, you know, had a nice lunch. And then just by the time we got home, it was more like siesta hour than podcast hour. So thought, you know, why not leave it till Sunday to record this one? Maybe let some of my thoughts from the last weekend marinate a little bit more um, from the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, but also kind of act as a um, preview for next weekend too, because can you believe it? After two years, we're going to have Formula One racing back in Australia. So very exciting that. Um, So excited to confirm all of my plans and whereabouts for next weekend too. So it's been a busy week as I say always, but anyway, let's get into it, and um, some supercars as well to talk about later with the Tassie Super Sprint last weekend, but going to F1, um, you know, I think coming a bit later this time has helped kind of settle the, the negative feelings I had associated with last weekend quite a bit, so um, as much as we had an amazing race, you know, another great battle between Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc, uh, Sergio Perez, first-time pole sitter. Um, It was pretty much dominated by the fact that, you know, there was a bombing nearby to the track, you know, and, you know, whenever you think that happens, yeah, you instantly think terrorist attack or, you know, the, the security and safety of everyone involved, um, in that part of the world. And, you know, the Formula One people as well, they're there to do a sport basically, you know, doing what they love essentially. Um, and yeah, it was basically a lot of questions being asked, you know, about the, Ethic, the ethics, the morals of, of Formula One for continuing to want to visit this part of the world and everything. And of course, it's easy to use the line of, oh, you know, they, they pay more for a race than any other country does, you know, what they're doing and what they're providing for the sport financially um, is quite significant, you know, and then of course the sponsor that Formula One has, one of their chief sponsors in Aramco, which, you know, coincidentally, it was their uh, processing facility or whatever um, that was attacked by uh, Houthi rebels from from Yemen. Um, You know, they're supposedly assisting F1 in the future of developing synthetic fuel and all that sort of thing. So, you know, you've you've got all these arguments that F1 can make and say that, oh, you know, it's beneficial for racing in this part of the world. Stefano Domenicali even comes out, the CEO of F1, and says, you know, we're actually here to create a positive impact, perhaps change the culture, you know, and I just probably, I just, you know, giggle a little bit at that thought because, you know, without without being too forward, I feel like, you know, it's probably not possible to achieve what they're thinking to the degree that, you know, we would like it to be 
um, all us people watching from the outside in who, you know, care very much about human rights and um, equality and that sort of thing. So, who knows? Who knows? And, you know, good on the GPDA as well over the weekend. You know, they deliberated long and hard. Um, there was a four-hour meeting, apparently, you know, on, on Friday before FP, FP2 started to assess whether it would be safe enough to race. And, you know, they were give, given all the assurances and everything, and they proceeded with the weekend. What will happen in the future? Who knows? You know, whether F1 will decide to say, yeah, look, it's it's got a bit too dicey last time. Um, we're not going to come back. I don't think that's a possibility, given how much um, money is involved. You know, at the end of the day, cash is king, um, especially for a business like Formula One. So as much as it pains me to say, it's not going to be something that they're going to take a leaf out of, you know, our ethical playbook or, you know, take our morals into account and be like, okay, we can't, we can't do it, you know. I mean, credit to them for acting on, on Russia, you know, after um, invading Ukraine, that was not going to be viable at all, you know, and especially, you know, with, with two countries being at war, but how um, much different is this, you know, essentially, so... You know, without getting too too political, um, I've made my thoughts clear on this. You know, I don't feel comfortable uh, with the fact that, you know, they are increasing their presence in that part of the world where, you know, they've got so many different countries lining up to want to get a Grand Prix. Um, you know, Domenicali as well, talking about the potential, you know, not saying definitely there's going to be 30 races, um, but the potential of, you know, having 30 Grand Prix a season, you know, not that that's going to happen anytime before the next Concord Agreement is signed, obviously, with 24 races being the limit in that instance. So, it's just a lot of questions, I feel like, you know, we, we leave the Saudi weekend having asked um, of ourselves and, you know, the sport and whatnot, but at the end of the day, as, as sad as it is, I feel like nothing is going to change in that instance, so let's leave it at that, um, this is in no way me ignoring the realities and whatnot about it, you know, it's something I'm very conscious of and, um, you know, outside of podcasting and, and writing and everything, you know, personally, I feel very strongly about this uh, subject. So, yeah, you know, we'll we'll talk about the, um, the racing and stuff now. So, Charles Leclerc obviously dominated the practice sessions, but it was Checo Perez who, shocked in qualifying for pole position, got his first career pole in F1, something, you know, he had the record or holds the record now of most races um, competed without a pole position or until he gets his first pole position. So good on Checo for that. Really came under the radar. Um, other highlights from qualifying, or not really highlights, but really, really lowlights, you could say, was the massive crash for Mick Schumacher in Q2. Uh, thankfully, Mick was okay uh, taking to hospital. But again, you know, we talk about Saudi Arabia potentially being unsafe as a country to race because of what's going on politically and, you know, um, just in terms of conflict around it. But then the track itself, you know, we only raced here not long ago at the end of last year. We saw so much um, 
so many incidents in the junior categories in Formula 2 and stuff like that happen again this weekend and then we have a big crash like this in Formula 1 with uh, Mick Schumacher and um, the Haas car pretty much being written off for the weekend, what could have been as well given how quick they are at the moment Um, and then them basically saying it was a million dollar uh, million dollars worth of damage as well so they'll rue the fact that you know they had a missed opportunity with Mick but at the same time it's so important that Mick is okay and um, was able to return to the track on Sunday to talk to the press and answer some questions and all that so be good to see him in the following race uh, in Melbourne. So we look forward to that. We had Lewis Hamilton eliminated in Q1 as well, while George Russell, um, kind of a bit underrated, but was the star of the weekend in terms of Mercedes and Mercedes-powered cars. He was the fastest in qualifying with sixth in the end in Q3, but Hamilton just not having a um, good weekend at all. It was his worst weekend since he came to Mercedes in terms of qualifying and race finishes. He also took the record over the weekend of having the most Grand Prix contested with a single team, taking over from Michael Schumacher's record of 179 races with Ferrari, so 180 races for old Louis in um, for Mercedes, but it was easily the worst weekend that they had qualifying down in 16th and then I think only coming in for for 10th in the end so as for the race itself um we saw Perez open the stint or lead the opening stint quite comfortably um all looking good there for Checo you know a lot of questions about Checo as well of course you know will he hang on to his seat um for another year you know can he really be that, you know, support driver for, for Max in terms of, you know, or not just for Max, but for Red Bull to, to get that Constructors' Championship that they couldn't do last year. But unfortunately, he was crueled in the first round of pit stops. So Red Bull were dummied into pitting by uh, Ferrari on lap 16. All would have been well, you know, it wouldn't have really taken him too far out of contention only for the fact that there was a safety car that came out on at the end of that lap or through that lap you know um Nicholas Latifi unfortunately having another crash he crashed out during Q1 as well and then of course um crashing out during the race so not a clean weekend for the Williams driver um and this basically with a safety car out allowed cheap pit stops for Leclerc for Max Verstappen for Carlos Sainz um Ferrari you see it in their demeanor this year the aggression to double stack and you know get both cars back on the track in a good way um science was pretty unhappy with Checo for uh a pit exit overtake so as science was coming out of the pits Checo thought he could pass even though they were under safety car conditions um but the positions were reverted eventually with that so that was another thing about you know the stewarding this year apparently race control are not gonna or the race director himself is not going to communicate to teams that oh you know um if he doesn't hand back that position he's going to be given a penalty I think it's more so like they've got to understand for themselves that they're in the wrong so you know there's a bit more um homework required for the drivers in this instance and also for the teams to keep an eye out on otherwise there would be penalties applied so they were able to swap the positions back so Checo down in fourth essentially um 
feel so feel so much for him because you know to to having led the first in comfortably as he did you know and then to be crueled by a pit stop like that that's just you know the way formula one works unfortunately as does any sport so um he missed out there down and forth um the race pretty much ran you know in procession in the middle part for the leaders we saw some good battles in between there you had the Alpine drivers, um, Fernando Alonso, Esteban Ocon fighting each other. Um, you had uh, Lewis Hamilton trying to get into the top 10. He was having a go at Kevin Magnussen, who's been sensational um, given his late call up to return to the sport um, after a year out. So uh, great battles going on. And ultimately, you know, another glowing review of the new regulations and how you know these cars are able to follow each other much closely you know last year if you know you made a pass on someone it would be very unlikely that they would be able to get back past you so you know the battle or you know if you're jostling for positions or whatever for example you it's not all done and dusted once the move is done. You know, there is a possibility that the other driver is going to get back past. Um, so it can go on for some time like we saw in Bahrain. And we saw the same thing towards the end of the race. So first we had a virtual safety car with under 10 laps to go. Three separate cars having three separate mechanical or, you know, technical failures um, all pull over to the side of the track in different parts. You know, you had Daniel Ricciardo losing out there, chance for points for him in McLaren as well. Fernando Alonso, um, despite having that great battle with his team at Ocon as well, he crawled to the side of the track and was out. And also Valtteri Bottas as well, who put in another good qualifying for Alfa Romeo. So losing key points there. So you had all three of those cars basically on their own, um, Accord just come to the side of the track. Ricardo was probably in more of a hairier position given that he stopped at the entry to the pits, um, which <laughs> actually hurt uh, Hamilton, unfortunately, because he was on for, for a top seven finish, you could say. But unfortunately, because he hadn't pitted up until that point, you know, he went quite long on the hard tyres, 41 laps to be precise. He had to wait until the pit lane was open again. Um, because they had to close it with Ricardo in the way, so he didn't end up getting a penalty like he did in Monza a couple of years ago. So you had all those guys out. Um, you had Max and Leclerc on the restart be able to uh, fight with each other. You had Max going around the outside of Leclerc on the back straight. Um, then Leclerc on the following lap going into turn one and two, the chicane was able to get that position back. You had them lock up at the end of the final, uh, end of the next lap on the final hairpin as well. Max getting a bit testy as he does, you know, getting a bit aggro <laughs> under the, under the helmet and on the team radio, but he was able to take the lead on lap 47. So, you know, that was a great little back and forth again, like we saw in Bahrain between those two. And, you know, just the composure that both drivers had. You know, I say Max got testy, but he didn't try to pull anything stupid like he did last year in, in the same race against Lewis Hamilton. So um, he was all good. Leclerc was great too. And then in the end, the Red Bull beating the Ferrari by, you know, 
not even half a second or just over half a second um, closest finish since Monza 2020. So when when Pierre Gasly beat Carlos Sainz across the line there, and whoa, this is shaping to be really good. <laughs> I know we're only two races into um, a long season, but just what we've seen so far, like I said earlier, between the midfield as well, the fact that you know you make an overtake that the game's not over, the fact that, you know, the other driver can have a chance to get back at him, at his uh, rival, pretty much straight away, is a testament as to how good these cars are, you know, like, you know, we, we'll still hear criticism about, you know, you, you hear criticism about anything in Formula 1, as I keep saying, you know, and I laugh about it, but also get riled up <laughs> pretty quickly as well when I hear people um, criticising F1 for, for certain things. I mean, criticism is due where it's due for certain things, and you know I won't shy away from talking about that sort of stuff, but when it comes to the racing side now, and the regulations uh, for 2022, this is what Formula One needed, you know, this is what is great, you're not having to rely just on DRS to make overtakes, this is two different cars from two different manufacturers, um, different power units, different aero philosophies or whatever, fighting for the lead and being able to, you know, one car overtakes the other, the other car can get back into the lead on the next lap, basically go for a couple of laps, you know, it is phenomenal, you know, and you might always be limited by the tyres that you're on as well, that's just how motorsport works, unfortunately, but how good is this? You know, like, surely you can't find a detractor in this. If anyone does find a detractor in this, I'd like to have words with you personally, because I don't think um, I don't think it's valid in that instance. But seeing them both go across the line uh, with such a short margin, it makes you think, is this going to is this what we're going to see every every race, you know, for the rest of the year? I doubt it because there's so many other variables involved. But, you know, for example, in seven days time when we're getting ready to, to race at Albert Park, for example, um, you know, is, are we going to have this sort of battle continue? And Albert Park being one of those tracks where in the past overtaking was not really easy, people hated it, oh, it's a, you know, complaining about the layout and yada yada, you know, guys, you better you need to come to Australia and go to Albert Park, go to the Australian Grand Prix to understand why it's actually a great race. More on that later, um, but if we get this sort of same battle between Leclerc and, and Verstappen, whether you know, it's with Checo or with, with science as well involved, it's so good, you know, so exciting, and that's coming from someone who isn't, you know, like, religiously a fan or a follower of either of these two teams or of those two drivers, but just as an outsider or neutral, I'm enjoying this, you know, like I enjoyed last year's championship battle as well to a certain extent before it got too, too dicey, um, so, Max taking the points back, you know, important race for him as well, given the DNF that they had in Bahrain and for, for Red Bull as well to get those championship points back. Um, Carlos Sainz, you know, again, kind of the forgotten man in all this, finishing P3. That's actually three consecutive podiums for him as well. If you look back to the end of last season in Abu Dhabi, um, I mean, what more can you say? I think at the moment, it's very much looking like a Max versus Leclerc type battle, but Science could easily be someone who 
if he plays his cards right and stays consistent, he can be up there. You know, he's still sitting second in the championship because Verstappen obviously only has those 25 points from uh, Jeddah in the bank, but, you know, science because he could easily be up there too. So that will be interesting to see. Um, and Ferrari looking very comfortable in the Constructors' Championship as well. So you had them, you had Perez coming in fourth. Again, disappointing for him. Um, having led the opening part of the race, George Russell, fifth for Mercedes, the best um, Mercedes finisher on the day. Not a lot said about him again, given the attention was on Lewis Hamilton. But I think, you know, for George to make the most of the situation that they're in, the, make the most of the situation Mercedes are in, is quite crucial because, you know, every point is going to count. They might not be in this championship battle with with Ferrari and Red Bull but you know if they play their cards right you know they could look at a good finish in the constructors championship because they are sitting still a point ahead of Red Bull obviously Red Bull playing catch up after a double DNF but you know if they are supposedly the third fastest car or whatever then you know they could easily be knocking on the door of those top two on the days that um, they're not going to be as strong or if they have any problems so We'll see how that all pans out. Meanwhile, we had a hilarious Hamilton down in P10. Unfortunately, you know, it could have easily been seventh for him if it wasn't for the fact that we had that virtual safety car and or if not just the virtual safety car, but the fact that the pit lane was closed at the time it was, um, having the virtual safety car would have easily helped him um, come in and change tyres and then get back out there and not lose much time. Um, but unfortunately, the pit lane was closed, so he had to wait till after that to get back out. And hilarious, I say, because after the race, he said, is there even points for 10th for or something? So <laughs> very much unfamiliar territory for him. But, you know... A top 10 is a top 10, you know, if if, you, if you're Gunter Steiner um, and what he said, <laughs> apparently for, for, for two points last year, he would have um, screwed the whole paddock or something like that, uh, putting it putting it likely, that, I don't know if that's the exact quote or whatever, um, you know, I'm sure with that sort of mentality, he'd be celebrating the fact that he finished in 10th, but um, unfortunately for him, and Mercedes, yeah, it's not where they want to be, and they're going to be assessing what to do um, as the season goes on. Who knows if they bring any upgrades as well to the Australian Grand Prix next up. While we're on the topic of Haas and Gunter trying to screw people in the paddock, um, Kevin Magnussen, Q3 again, ace job for him, and then to finish ninth in the race. I mean, he went backwards unfortunately, but to still finish ninth and pick up two points or whatever. I mean, that's more points than Haas have scored in the last two seasons, uh, the 12 points that they're on currently. So what does that say about this team? You know, it's it's so fascinating. A lot of people didn't expect it. You know, they're like, oh, Williams will be ahead or, you know, Alfa Romeo more likely going to be ahead given the kind of season that Haas had last year. But that's also the impact that I reckon Magnussen has had on the team too. I mean, if they had uh, the other guy in at the again, I think it would be a lot different. And and Schumacher, unfortunately, as well, hasn't had the greatest start to his 2022 campaign. But 
he's only going to be pushed more by someone like Magnuson, who is relentless and has so much experience. So this is really good to see for, for a team that, you know, for a while you thought they might not even be on the grid in the future, but they've committed to the end of the, the current Concord agreement and um, hopefully some success will come their way in terms of a mid solid midfield fight for this year. Behind um, Mercedes and George Russell there in fifth, we had Esteban Ocon again racing to the finish line like he did last year with Valtteri Bottas um, for the podium. Only this time he was racing with Lando Norris and um, Ocon came out better to finish in sixth. But still a good result for Lando as well, for McLaren to get on the points board too. Again, they struggled um, in qualifying and all that sort of stuff. Daniel Ricciardo out in Q1. And then, of course, not being able to um, race, you know, to the to the end with, with the failure that he had. He Oh, Ricciardo actually got a grid penalty too, I forgot to say, you know, for impeding during qualifying. So not the greatest of weekends for him again. Um whilst Lando just missing out on Q3 and uh, ending up in the points. So good job for him. Uh, looking elsewhere, Pierre Gasly, P8, so points on the board for him and Alpha Tauri. But it was Yuki Tsunoda who this time suffered the same problem that Gasly did in Bahrain, and that actually happened on the outlap to the grid before the race. So Tsunoda didn't even get to start, so unfortunate for him. Um, already mentioned Bottas Alonso, Latifi out of the race, uh, Guan Yu Zhou finishing again in 11th, so getting to the line, that's best he could have done in that race and in that situation, and then behind him he had the Aston Martins out of the points again, as well as Alex Albon, so the only thing I could say about those guys, um, not so much for Nico Hulkenberg, because uh, we will have Sebastian Vettel back in the Aston Martin um, for the Australian Grand Prix, making his debut this season as well. Um, but for the likes of Lance Stroll and Alex Albon, you know, surely there's got to be an element of pressure that uh, mounts. You know, that applies to Nicholas Latifi as well. Derek Williams, who would have thought that they would be in the position they are, considering Haas is so far up, and Alfa Romeo have been great in qualifying. They've been able to, with, with the help of Valtteri Bottas, of course, been able to get into Q3. Um, you would have thought that Albon, with his speed as well, would be able to push for that, but unfortunately the car doesn't seem like it's there at the moment. But um, yeah, it could only be a matter of time before the pressure comes on. And I think for Aston in particular... Once we get to see Vettel in the car uh, next weekend, see how he goes, uh, we could probably get a better judge, or we could better judge the situation therein. But if he struggles as well, then you know, then that's when you got to look at uh, what's going on in the team, you know. And you've heard me before talk a lot about Aston Martin and you know what they've invested in there. You know, is it going to end up as another Toyota? Uh, F1 project from the 2000s or whatever, who knows, but um, yeah, not looking good for them at this stage, so there's your race, there's your Saudi Grand Prix, um, bit of jostling in Jeddah between the leaders there, so Leclerc sitting pretty with 20 points um, advantage over Verstappen at the moment, of course, Verstappen playing catch-up 
after the DNF in Bahrain. Um, otherwise, then it's pretty congested when you go into the midfield. Constructors' Championship, Red Bull rebounding after that first weekend. Um, only a point off Mercedes in second, but Ferrari are well ahead. Alpine leading Haas and then Alfa Romeo. Those Ferrari power teams looking good. Alfa Tauri in seventh, McLaren on the board in eighth, and then yeah, you've got Aston and um, Williams sitting pointless at the moment in ninth and tenth. So those Mercedes power teams really suffering at the moment as it is. So yeah, let's let's move it on. And one of the big announcements to come during the week as well uh, was the fact that we're going to have a Las Vegas Grand Prix in 2023. Um, not much of a secret if you've been following the F1 news over the last few weeks. There's talks of kind of escalated and then to the point where an announcement was made in such pomp as well with um, Stefano de Melicali there and uh, Greg Maffee, the CEO of, of Liberty Media itself, there too, because obviously the event is going to be promoted and bankrolled by Liberty rather than being um, uh, put forward by a local promoter like most races are. So they're really hoping that it will be a flagship event. It's the third race that we're going to have in the US as well as of next year with, with Miami coming on the calendar. I don't know what to think of this one. You know, like obviously people think back to the Caesars Palace Grand Prix that we had in the past and you know how terrible a race that was but you know they're obviously putting a lot of money into this one um they wanted to succeed they've got it there on the las vegas you know on the main strip uh i imagine ticket prices will be astronomical and will be sold out pretty much as soon as they go on sales so who knows if that'll actually mean that a average joe like me will be able to purchase it if i do intend to to go to the race um next november it's most likely going to be uh on the weekend of thanksgiving as well but they haven't confirmed the date as yet um seems like a pretty simple track seems like it's going to be a fast track or whatever as I said last time, I don't understand this fascination that F1 has at the moment with street races. Um, I prefer those old, you know, fast-flowing tracks. You know, I don't like the Tilkadromes as much, but I like tracks with character. We've got how many street races now? Uh, you got Monaco, you got Baku, Singapore, Miami, soon to be, um, Jeddah, of course, and then uh yeah this one coming up in in vegas and i thought qatar as well was meant to be switching from uh the LaSalle circuit to a street race in the future as well so you know that's that's seven races <laughs> just off the top of my head that are street races i mean you could include albert park in that as well but you know it is kind of a permanent parklands type circuit but yeah seven of your 22 or 23 races are street tracks so you know, in between that, there's races that you would love to see back on the calendar, such as, you know, your German Grand Prix, whether it's Hockenheim or the Nürburgring, um, take a race back to, they're talking about taking a race back to Africa, the African content, uh, continent, sorry, content, um, African continent, uh, and I would probably love to see them go back to Kyle Army there in South Africa. That's such a fun track as well. So, you know, there's a lot at the moment for, for F1 to think about in terms of where we're going to race in the future. Does this mean with Vegas coming in next year that there's a race that's on the calendar this year that's going to miss out because you've got to factor in the fact that 
uh, Qatar becomes a addition to the calendar next year. The Chinese Grand Prix will return as well. And so far, there's only the Russian Grand Prix that's had its contract terminated. So who else is going to have their head on the chopping block? I hope it's not any of our favorite races for sure. And speaking of favorite races, <laughs> the Australian Grand Prix, you know, um, favorite because it is our home race. It's my home race here in Melbourne. Um, it's going to be great because I didn't want my last memory of Albert Park and the Australian Grand Prix to be Friday the 13th of March in, in 2020 when the Grand Prix was cancelled. Having been there on the ground that day, having to uh, cover it for, for the website, for the RAW, um, get the information out there as, as um, accurately as I could, it was one of the most intriguing and difficult days I remember in, in covering Formula One, you know, given how, you know, just volatile the situation was, we're dealing with something that no one knew how to deal with at that point, uh, the, the COVID you know, coronavirus, COVID-19, so new to everyone, you know, we didn't have the measures in place to, to be able to protect ourselves, or, you know, at that, at, there was a stage where I was like, everyone in the paddock is probably going to get it, you know, am I going to be sick, you know, when I, when I leave and everything, you know, it was, it was, it was genuinely one of those fearful situations, but now to be able to return, um, to have such a, glowing undercard of support categories as well, such as the supercars, S5000, Porsche Carrera Cup, um, full capacity for, for the weekend, you know, they're still trying to sell some Friday tickets, but there's probably not that many left, um, they've made changes to the track as well, you know, a multitude of corners have been widened, they've had their camber adjusted as well, no more chicane there at turns 9 and 10, instead that's more going to be like an extended straight, so it's going to be a lot quicker as well, um, lap times could be as quick as a, a minute 15 seconds, you know, if they do in, include that fourth DRS zone as well, so it's really, you know, when, when you talk about the future of, you know, having a, a race in your city or, you know, at your venue or whatever, I don't think they would have spent this much money and time on the development that they have for Albert Park if they didn't foresee that the race was going to stay here for some time to come. So I love the intent there from the Australian Grand Prix Corporation and, you know, hopefully Formula One itself will commit um, for the foreseeable future as well to Albert Park. And I myself just excited, you know, like I, I only found out <laughs> on, on Friday that um, I would be going and representing the Roar as I do always, um, going to be live blogging the race from the track and, um, you know, hopefully catching up with friends that I haven't seen either for, for two years, basically since the start of the pandemic and everything, um, and just being amongst that atmosphere again will be really exciting, so, you know, if you if you stay tuned to um, my social channels there on Instagram and Twitter as well, um, links are always in the link tree um, in the description of the podcast, um, I'm sure you'll be able to experience or get an idea of what I'm experiencing during uh, the week ahead and the weekend ahead, so we look forward to it. And let's round this one up with some supercars talk as well with the Tasmania Super Sprint last weekend, round two of their championship here. Um, and what else do you say than 
that there's a feeling of deja vu from last year as um, Shane Van Gisbergen clean sweeped or did a clean sweep of the weekend, winning all three races, which means he's won five of six races that we've had so far this season. He surpassed the record of 56 race wins as well. That was set by um, Scott McLaughlin and Garth Tander on the all-time winners list for supercars. Still a way to go till he reaches the top of that, which um, his old teammate and now team boss Jamie Wincup is still um, on top of. But um, the main sort of talking point coming out of the weekend was... uh, Van Gisbergen and and his racing, Um, you know, and this is something that, yeah, it's quite contentious because there's going to be people who are like, oh, you know, he's racing too hard, you know, this is how Van Gisbergen is, he's so dirty and, you know, all that, but then there's going to be people who are like, okay, well, the onus is on the other guys to actually defend, you know, like if you look at the overtakes during race three, which was the first race of the weekend on Will Davison and Cam Waters in particular, they just basically leave the door open. You know, the only thing Waters did that was, um, like, you know, you could not even commend him, but just, you know, of note that Waters did in that instance was uh, flip off at, at Giz. What's that going to do? <laughs> That's just going to give him more motivation to do it again next time. Um, he really muscled his way, you know, having qualified fifth in that race, uh, Waters was on pole, and at the end of the day, when, when he caught up, there was just no resistance, there was no defense from them, yet we saw Waters being unnecessarily aggressive with Tim Slade um, during race uh, five or six, I think, um, hang on, yeah, you know, yeah, race four, sorry, um, the second race where he ended up um, getting punted off, did did Slade, that is, um, because of Waters being unnecessarily aggressive, and unfortunately, you know, it was not a good weekend for Tim Slade either, um, but, you know, fighting for minor positions in that instance, so what was the point of that, where, you know, you were fighting for the win and just let this guy pass? Same thing happened um, in the following race with, with with Van Gisbergen, but with uh, his new teammate in Brock Feeney, that's more understandable, you know, the rookie, he doesn't want to get his hands dirty or anything like that, he, he led pretty well in the opening stint of the race, having um, taken the lead from his teammate at the start, and then we had that red flag with Andre Heimgartner and Jack LeBrock coming off there at the final corner, but it's only a talking point, because these guys are doing nothing, and that's easy for me to say, for example, from the outside looking in, but it looks as if, you know, they could do more to defend against Van Giesbergen, to give him a bit of his medicine in return, like, what happened to the rest of the field once Scott McLaughlin left? I mean, surely um, someone out there, you know, thought, oh, well, you know, one of us could have a go at the crown as well. Oh, no, wait, Van Gisbergen's going to do it. I'm just going to, like, you know, just chill back here and maybe wait for Van Gisbergen to quit and then I'll have a chance of winning or whatever. That's not going to happen, you know? Um, it was unfortunate for Chaz Mostert too, losing the championship lead on the first day there in Tassie. He qualified in 13th with a power steering issue and then was on for good points in the race for P8, but there was a lap 37 incident between 
Mark Winterbottom and David Reynolds, which saw Chaz caught up as collateral, unfortunately, and then for the rest of the weekend, he wasn't able to get any good results out of that car, so again, you know, the whole consistency thing comes back into it, where you've got to be able to roll out at every track you go to, and be able to qualify, you know, top five at the most, you've got to be inside that top three, um, most likely, to be able to finish on the podium and, and win races, because that's the only way you're going to win a championship in this, but at the moment, six races in, or whatever, two events in, and Van Gisbergen is looking pretty already at the top there with a 67-point lead over Anton Di Pasquale. Um, and speaking of Anton, like, you know, where was the Shell V-Power team all weekend? Apart from Davison early on, you know, we only saw Anton feature in the final race there. I mean, he's doing well to keep himself out of trouble and not have any... Um, uh, like, lose any points like he did last year with some DNFs, but the fact that, you know isn't really challenging for wins at the moment, who knows, like, it's it's not looking too great as it stands, but it is a long season, of course, you know, we're getting a proper full season this year for supercars, so hopefully um, they're going to improve as the year goes on, and going to the next track, of course, for them is the Australian Grand Prix support round, it's a track that's um, been pretty good for the Mustangs in the past, you know, the last time we were there in 2019, um, we did see Scott McLaughlin pretty much dominate, and Chas Mostert get a win as well when he was there with Tickford, so will it be the same story um, when we go there this time, but looking at the standings as they are, we've got Van Gisbergen ahead, 67 points to De Pasquale, 122 back to Davison in third, Mostert dropping to fourth with 145 points in arrears, and then Brody Kostecki in the top five with 175 points behind. So, yeah, they're going to have to get their act together, these guys. Um, But good on Brock Feeney this weekend as well. I think, you know, we've got to talk about the rookie a little bit. Um, They're a triple eight uh, you know, making his debut this season, he finished on the podium there in race four, he did well to lead the race early on as well, and then, of course, Van Giesbergen bowled past or whatever, he wasn't going to put up any resistance for that, but, you know, that's kind of what we expected, you know, or from, from Feeney this season, that he would come in and, you know, get some good results here and there, but it's very much going to be a learning, it's not like he's too far off the pace or whatever, he he still was able to qualify second in that race and to finish second and whatnot, so, you know, it's going to be good watching this uh, kid develop and that's what we want to see, you know, I mean, we saw likes of Cam Waters and Chaz Mostert, Scott McLaughlin, they all developed and whatnot and became race winners and, and championship contenders and all that, but, you know, it's that important last step on becoming a championship contender that's quite important, so I'm sure with the team there at Triple Eight, uh, Feeney will be able to do that in the future. Anyway, I think that about wraps it up, though. Um, thanks so much, guys, for tuning in. As I said, you know, keep an eye on the social channels um for myself and and for the podcast you can find them with the link tree that is always in the description below um going to be doing a preview episode for the australian grand prix with f1 chronicle and grid talk as well so keep an eye out for that as well i'm sure i'll retweet that or repost that um but other than that yeah hope you guys have a 
Good rest of your weekend. Enjoy the week ahead. Enjoy the Australian Grand Prix, and I will be back to review the race um, in over a week's time. Thank you.